kind of like a marriage, man. You're able to communicate, you're able to express your thoughts and move on. But if you marry to someone and you got to constantly argue every day, it's not going to be a great marriage because in these deals, you guys are locked in for three to seven years. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Mike Ely. How you doing, Mike? Pretty good, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm doing well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Mike. He lost everything in the early 2000s, but picked himself up and has since acquired over 1,500 apartment units. Just this August alone, he bought and closed on more than $28 million worth of real estate transactions based in Cincinnati, Ohio. With that being said, Mike, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Okay, so graduated Tuskegee, did electrical engineering throughout college, man. I paid through college doing big concerts and parties. And after graduation wanted to get into real estate. I started reading about No Money Down, Robert Allen, No Money Down in the 90s, and then utilized some of that Carlton Sheets, but didn't quite understand over leveraging at that time. And bought about 20-something units and lost everything. Moved back home. I was 30 years old. What happened exactly? Yeah, I moved back home with mom and dad, and they had painted my room pink and lavender. (laughs) It was pretty sexy, man. <laughs> what happened? How'd you lose the units exactly? So really quite just jumping straight to it. Didn't really have a plan. Didn't really put a budget together. I had an engineering background, so things were kind of black and white and pencil, but I didn't get into projections, reserves, saving for that rainy day. And if I simply would have just escrowed some funds for those down times, probably still would have a car wash. Had two full service car washes, about 20, 30 units, and we were doing about three, 400,000 a year. And I was about 28, 29, living life, man. Mm-hmm. But when it rains, truly it pours. April showers, May flowers, truly it rained for 30, 60 days straight. And it seemed like every day I drove into the car wash, there was a black cloud over it. And quite frankly, we lost revenue. And eventually I had to fade out and kind of take the money from Peter to Paul through the apartment units to kind of survive. And finally, I just had to let it go. But the great thing about it was I learned how to do short sales and acquire mortgage notes through that process. But the bad thing was I lost everything. I lived at home and had to start all over. But one of the experiences in my life. And when you lose everything, as you mentioned, 
did your credit take a hit? Oh my goodness, yes. What did it go down to? You know, I don't even know. <laughs> I just knew I couldn't get a loan for nothing. Right. But honestly, after doing that, it really, three years later, I stuck with it. Uh, I found some investors. I moved to more cash deals. Uh-huh. And in fact, I was about to say I bought, I'm not sure. I, I, I think, no, I didn't. When I bought my first house, my first residence house, an investor put up the money for me. I rehabbed it. And really in that fourth year, I was able to get a loan to refinance it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really for 10, 12 years, I did all my deals with cash investors. And just psychologically, what are some tips that you have for when someone comes across that crushing of a financial blow, how to deal with it psychologically? (laughs) Don't lose your mind, although you will. (laughs) I went into deep thought. Quite frankly, I got more spiritual, prayed more, I meditated more. But what that did, it made me really focus on what I really wanted in life. And I dug deeper and started reading. I read multiple books. I was reading two books a week almost. Everything from spirituality, religion, people in power, to landscaping, flowers, how people became wealthy. Mm -hmm. And what I learned, it was the same thing over and over. No matter what I was reading, whether it was religion, whether it was business, whether it was power, treat everybody how you want to be treated, universal principle, give, and it'll come back to you multifold. Mm-hmm. And if you put your plan together, because a lot of times people I always say people don't plan to fail, but fail to plan. And what happens, they go through all these rough times and they continue to see it as difficult. And in reality, it is, but you got to change your perception because when you're doing something difficult, it's quite uncomfortable. You're not used to stretching in this different direction. So once you push through this uncomfortable feeling, this different wilderness, you'll make it through because you'll never win if you quit. And what? so pushing at it and you'll make it through. Were you a avid book reader prior to losing the properties? I couldn't no. stand reading. I was a math guy. You give me some yeah. math, <laughs> I could create a whole story for you. Literally, that was a task. I had to force myself to read and stay awake. But what was amazing was the first two books that caught my interest and turned me into an avid reader, quite frankly, was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh-huh. And the second one, The Cashflow Quadrant. I never get, I was at the car wash one day and, and just ready to leave, frustrated, losing money and employees going crazy. So uh, I actually went to the bookstore to find me a magazine on Max Payne. It was a video game from PlayStation. I was trying to crack the code. And in that process, I found this Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was the first time I picked up a book and I sat there right in the store and I read half the book right there. Wow. It just immediately changed my life. It was like, oh my gosh, somebody understands me. (laughs) Well, let's fast forward now all the way to this past August, because in your bio that I read, it says you bought and closed on more than $28 million worth of real estate transactions. Yeah. What does that comprise of? Initially, it was a portfolio we went after. I had just JV'd or partnered with a group of guys that we've known for quite some time. And one of the brokers called me and said, Mike, I got this thousand unit. And I was like, let's do it. And I put my team together. But we decided we only wanted to take about 
346 units. Now, although it was a great deal, I could have flipped the whole thing, actually passed because I knew 300 of the units would have been a lot of work. Now, we would have made money, but it was a lot of work. But we decided to take down the 346 units. I think all in, it was 24 million. That's acquisition and CapEx. And actually, not to toot my horn, I think we were at 35 million because then 32 million. And then we bought a hotel with 145 keys, uh, Courtyard, Marriott, and Worthington. So if you're ever in the Columbus area, around 270, check in our hotel, and we're going to be renovating that in the next six months. Where were the 346 units, or where are they? All those in Cincinnati. We're all the way from Springdale to Wyoming, Finneytown, College Hill, North College Hill. It was a great deal. I immediately looked at the portfolio. I knew we were in a strong market. And first of all, I knew the entire portfolio. I said, look, man, we don't even have to close this. We can wholesale this and make a $5 million profit. And technically, I was wrong and right. And the reason I say, I said that for the whole thousand unit portfolio. What actually happened is, like I said, we only took 346 units. Well, they end up going ahead and putting that other 300 units on the market. It went under contract within a week and it went in $4 million more than what we had a contract for. Mm. So it was a great deal, but shoulda, coulda, woulda. But that's why now any deals come, we're wholesaling them or taking assignment fees. So you all bought the 346. You said there were 300 on top of that. 100 on top. Right. That's what I was wondering, the math, because you said 1,000 initially. 500 and something. Okay. Yeah. So the 346 that you bought, it sounds like since they're spread out, they're smaller units. Yeah, they were like 90, 90 units here, 27 there, 50, 60 units there. Mm-hmm. But they're in like class B areas, one or two in class A areas. I immediately looked at the square foot that they were renting the units for, and they were renting for 78 cents a square foot. Uh-huh. And I don't really care where you are. Even in your C and D plus markets in Cincinnati, as long as it's not a humongous unit, you should be renting at at least a dollar square foot. And I knew these were great areas that should be at least a dollar twenty, dollar twenty-five square foot. So it was a no-brainer. And in addition, we noticed in the accounting that they didn't break out their capex. They actually included that in their annual profit and loss above the line. So people that are not aware of that. So when you do CapEx, that's something that should be below the line because actually that should come out of your reserve funding or your initial reserve fund that you created. How do you manage that size of portfolio that spread out? Well, one, we're local here in Cincinnati. We work vertically integrated. We have our own construction team, multiple contractors. We have our own management system. And within our partnerships, currently right now, I think we have under ownership and management about 1,000 units right now in hand. 300 of those are in my office. Another 346, like we just talked about, that's in other partners' office. And the other 300 are in another group of partners. So we kind of divide and conquer, and we help each other out building management systems. And that's how we're able to take them out and manage them. But one of the great things is we really control our costs. 
So that's how we're able to really push these numbers. We're doing things almost 30% cheaper than the average investor. And that's simply because we know our cost and we got our own teams and own contractors that work for us on a regular basis. You mentioned two other partners. They each have around 300 units. Will you elaborate more on the partnerships that you have, like how you structure that and where the partners are located? So all our partners are located in Cincinnati and every deal is a little different. The first group of partners we did about 400 units. We sold off hundred so far, but that was a straight split. We didn't get into that GPLP. It was just a straight ownership. I think we took partners. It was four of us. We took about 18 to 22%, which equivalent to, uh, it was a 40, 50. Bottom line, we had 60% and 40% went to the investors. Okay. There's quite a lot of deals we got. It's not the typical syndication. We take 70% of the deal and the investor gets 30 and they get a small preferred anywhere from 6% to 8%. This last 346 unit portfolio we did, that was actually a 50-50 with the GP and LP, no preferred. How do you determine which one of those structures to use on a deal? It really depends on how much money we need. We're under a million and a half. We got some investors that really just want a coupon. They just want to clip a coupon and get a check every month. And they want to get anywhere from eight to 12%. They don't really care about anything else. So when we have something in that range, we like to do that 70, 30 our way and maybe give them a 6% preferred to really boost their numbers up. Like I said, we like to give back and we like to really take care of our investors. So we like to try to get them above an 18% turnover rate of return mm-hmm. and just give them an eight to 10% cash on cash, which works. But when you initially doing your renovation that first six months, eight months, that's a lot of cash going out while you're trying to increase the rent. So in order to keep our liabilities down, that's why we opt to give them a little more equity and a preferred. So you get a well balanced and it helps them reach their goals as well of hitting over that 12 to 14% cash on cash and 18 plus internal rate of return. But when we got big equity and we, we know we're going to crush it and we just want to limit our liabilities, we do a straight 50-50. And the investors, it's a little more easier to raise capital. I have to say, when you kind of go against the grain, people question why you're doing it. Why are you doing 70-30? I heard most syndications are 70-30 our way, would have preferred. But our pushback is, well, you need to compare apples to apples. Look at our returns. I'm still giving you guys 30%, but I'm still hitting you over 18% internal rate of return. You're still getting to 12 to 14% cash on cash. But when it's the other way around at 70%, it's the same number. Mm-hmm. I was like, you look at that and I don't hit you with all the fees, but and- I could turn it around and do the same thing. And we're back at the same number. So you know, <laughs> what do you want? And I'm sure when you give that thought process of, hey, we're doing a 70% GP, 30% LP, and you tell them, but look, the returns are the same. You might've come across, yeah, but those are projections. And what happens if you don't hit projections, then still the GPs getting 70% of the cut and LPs are getting 30%. So we're not going to get as much. What would you say to that? 
Well, one of the things is all about your goal of your investor. And one of the main things is that's why we have the preferred. Mm-hmm. I tell him, look, this is your minimum. And if you're fine with that, I always look at our worst case scenario or what could be the worst deal we do or what happens if this happens. And the worst case is you just get a preferred. And if you can live with that, then we can move forward. And I also go in and say, hey, you got to look at their deal as well, like the margins. So some syndicators, not all of them, but if their deal a little tight because they're just doing the deal just because it hits the margins, it's a marginal deal, so it hit the margin. But if for whatever reason it hits 10% less, their whole deal structure is thrown off. Mm-hmm. Whereas my deal could hit less, but I still have more room to give if we need to from our GP. We still believe in doing what's fair, even though it's in contract. But fortunately, we've not experienced that. We've hit our numbers. I'm very conservative in my numbers. Perfect example, we're doing a 30 unit in your Cincinnati and Avondale, which I, it was a deal I passed on multiple times. But again, I knew we could push the price per square foot. So we gutted it and we're all in at 1.7 million. I said we could get a value of 2.4. And I stated that the rents per unit for these two bedroom townhouses start off at 8.25. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time we got done with the first phase, I was able to rent my first phase units at twelve fifty a unit, four hundred dollars more than wow. what I expected. Oh yeah, a unit, and we're still arguing about this. My buddy says four. <laughs> Again, I'm conservative. I said three six, but that's just what we've been doing. Even on these last deals, I said we should at least underwrote it at a dollar fifteen a square foot. We're getting a dollar twenty five a square foot. So I always look at our worst case scenario and we go from there. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? If you can do it on your own, do it. If you got a partner or you have to get a partner, take your time, don't rush. And don't take anybody's money. I never thought I would do this, but I had a guy offer me $2 million to be an investor. And I had to politely turn it down. Because he immediately reminded me of a guy that invested 30000 He literally got on my nerves, calling me every day, wanting to visit the property, asking what's going on. I couldn't even do my work. I literally gave him his money back, plus his interest, just to give him away from me. Mm-hmm. And then enjoy who you're working with. I was in a big deal. First deal I had, well, first larger development. It was a $70 million dual brand hotel. And that project kind of fell apart. But I had one or two great partners who I learned a great deal on and other partner, well, he was trying to just can everybody and take the deal for himself. It was a great experience, but an ugly experience. And if you can partner with people, you take your time, find the right person. It's kind of like a marriage, man. You're able to communicate, you're able to express your thoughts and move on. But if you marry to someone and you got to constantly argue every day, it's not going to be a great marriage because in these deals, you guys are locked in for three to seven years. Yep. So just be patient. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go for it. All right, let's go for it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, bec20.com.
Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net. Okay, what's the best ever book you've recently read? Oh, that's the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. How come? He was a computer tech guy, Silicon Valley, that worked with Netscape that ended up selling to AOL for like a billion dollars. So then he started his own company and he went through so much hell. He went from 10 employees to six or 800 employees in 14 months. And it talks about how you can move through each step. And the great thing about this book is it talks about Everybody tells you about all the great things, but nobody tells you about how to make it through the hard things. And after seven years of hell, he ended up selling his company for over a billion dollars. And now he's one of the greatest venture capitalists out there in Silicon Valley. And he was a Jewish guy and I loved, he mixed hip hop. The quote, he started off with a hip hop verse from Jay-Z or Kanye. And he had just had amazing quotes. One I still use today, because it talked about how you're a great company, but you can fall easily. And he summed it up with this. One day you're Terrell Owens, the next day you're Terrell Owens. <laughs> What's the best ever deal you've done? I got two, because if you talk about percentages, I knew the highway was coming around Cincinnati. So I went to the annual auction and I bought a couple of parcels for anywhere from 700 to 1800 bucks. I thought it was going to be five or seven years before they come develop or do anything and get bought out. And I wish I would have bought more, but in two and a half years, they bought every parcel I bought. I paid $700 to $1,800. They bought me out anywhere from $80,000 to $170,000. Not per parcel. Per parcel. Per parcel. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. How many of those parcels did you buy? Bought seven. Now, seven here's a, of them. The bad thing, I had that whole block tied up and I was just like, I'm not going to put all my money over there. Well, it's speculative play, so I get that. I get trying to not go all in on that. Worked out for you. Yeah, it was great. And then my next best one was my multi-unit, what I talk about. Man, I bought a 48-unit for 200 grand, and we initially were going to flip it. And me and my buddy was like, nah, let's just do a deal. And I didn't understand cash flow and cap rates at the time. And so I'm going on the auditor looking at transfers and I see how people paid a million one, a million two, a million six. And I'm like, what idiot would do that? And once I learned cash flow, I was like, I guess I'm that idiot. But I was all in for 400 and sold it for one six. And we netted a cool million. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Right now I'm doing that through my church. I kind of hit myself through a nonprofit. I'm the treasurer and we donate what we call to our benevolent fund. And so through that, when some people have issues, I'm able to write that check, no matter what it is, they may have problems paying their mortgage or gas and electric, or they needed Christmas money. When I hear the story, I say, you know, even somebody that passed away and they didn't have any money to get to the funeral. I tell them, Hey, you know what? I think I know somebody can help you. And I just go back and write a check from the fund that we donated. And that's our way of giving back. But uh, shortly here, we're going to do some free classes that we're going to do. And 
hopefully we want to make a couple of millionaires out there. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? So you can go to www.nassauinvest.com. Or you also can catch me at Bigger Pockets where I'm blogging as Michael Ely or Mike Ely, E-A-L-Y. Mike, enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show, talking about your background, talking about the deals that you're doing, the structure that you're using, the thought process you have for that structure. Enjoyed it. I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks a lot, Joe. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, bec20.com.